Good morning. So glad you're here today. My name is Randall Bradley, and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary, and I'm happy to welcome you here. If you're a guest, we're really glad that you're here. We're glad that you ch have chosen to worship with us today. If this is the place that you show up every Sunday, we're also glad you're here. We can't say that enough, that it's a pleasure to gather together in this community and to worship together. Today in, in worship, you're going to hear a lot about freedom. You're going to hear the word freedom come from a lot of different angles, and you're going to see it represented in a lot of different ways. I don't know about you, but I tend to take freedom for granted until I don't have it. How many of you have ever broken a bone and had to wear a cast? Okay, about half of you or more. Uh, the first time I had to do that, I had never imagined how uh, much I would use my right hand in daily life until I wore a cast for six weeks. So freedom really does take a big toll when we don't have it. Every day I wake up and because I'm a musician and a singer, I expect to be able to sing. It's just something I do and I completely take it for granted except for times when I have laryngitis and realize that my freedom is gone and what I can do um, at least every day, whether it's good or not, it's something that I take for granted. How many of you have ever had your car in the shop? Yeah, and you're used to going and doing as you please and then suddenly you can't and your freedom is gone. All of those kinds of things, you know, you recognize what you don't have, um, what you take for granted when you don't have it and uh, it's missing then. Freedom is something that must be cherished. I think the best way that we can assure freedom for others for ourselves is to be an advocate for freedom for others. When we advocate for others, then we are then in some way assuring our own freedom. Today we're going to have a wonderful opportunity in worship to hear from some of our children. Last fall, um, four of uh, Calvary children participated in a play that they wrote and produced at Hillcrest PDX, and um, it was an amazing evening with these boys and girls, and they're going to share a little bit about that with you today, so I know you're going to anticipate that. But the big deal about today is freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is not something that I think I've mastered. Uh, it's something that I've spent a lifetime trying to understand and trying to live into, and I'm where I am, and that's all I can say, but I'm not where I want to be, and I hope that you aren't either. Let's worship together today.
Dear God, you have set us free. By your grace, your love, and your power. Not free to satisfy our own sinful desires or strive after earthly things, but rather to follow your word and to better your kingdom. Let us never take for granted that we are free to worship how we please and where we wish to worship. Thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
have set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in our
Good morning. All of you were in a school musical last fall at Hillcrest PBS. Anna, can you tell us a little bit about how the musical came to be? Showtime is a musical performed by fifth graders at Hillcrest PBS every year. For 20 years, the fifth grade teachers and students have read a book and taken a field trip and have written a play based on the book and trip. This year, the fifth graders at Hillcrest took a field trip to Little Rock, Arkansas and read a book called The Lions of Little Rock. The book was about school segregation in 1958 in Little Rock and it followed two 12-year-old girls, one white, one African-American. Their friendship helped the community begin to see that friends are friends no matter what color. Caroline, can you tell us what was the basic storyline of the musical? The storyline story follows an extremely shy 12-year-old girl from Little Rock, Arkansas in 1958. The girl's name is Marley. She meets a very outgoing and lively girl named Liz. During the first week of school, they become very good friends. Liz wants to help Marley become less shy and more confident, and the two decide to do a speaking presentation. On the day Marley is supposed to speak, Liz is absent. We find out that she was actually taken out of school because Liz was not white but black. Though the two were separated at school, they still made up in secret. At one of their meetings, they saw another older boy named Red with dynamite. Marley thought that Red planned to use the dynamite to blow up Liz's house. She told her parents, who confronted Red and his family about the dynamite, and the cops came before any harm could be done. Our Bible reading for today talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. What did the play teach you about how God wants us to love our neighbors? Well, I think that loving everyone is a huge part of life, and this play taught me just how important this is. This musical taught me to be open to new people despite how they look, how they sound, or any other traits that you might not understand, even if you don't understand their situation. Sometimes it takes a risk to love our neighbors. It's not always an easy thing to do. What are some of the challenges you learned about about loving our neighbors? One of the challenges is that sometimes people are unhappy with you for loving your neighbor because they disagree with you. They might even stop being your friend because of it. It might be scary or uncomfortable because, because you don't know them or understand them, but you do it anyway and you might have more in common than you thought. Did the play show you anything that you might want to change about the world around you? And how do you think God can use you to help bring about this change? I would like to change people's opinion about race. Even though laws have been passed, people still face insults about their race. I believe that God can use us all to make an impact in the world. I think that God will help us make a difference and show that race shouldn't prevent you from succeeding. Well, I, our play was mostly about African-American rights and how they became integrated, and we all know these rights still aren't fair. People getting pushed off sidewalks and all kinds of things are happening in America and Texas and even in Waco. God can help you with this by giving me the courage to take a stand. I want people to be kind to others who are different from them. I want the world to be fair and safe for everyone. God can use me by making me take a risk by taking a stand for reaching out to people. I would want to change the way people think about somebody's color, race, or size. 
I would pray to God to make me more brave or confident to accomplish my goal and that he would give me a voice for change. It sounds like you all had an amazing experience. Thanks so much for sharing that with us today. from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to release to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. A reading from the epistle to the Galatians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be no, of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I am confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. But my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I'm still preaching circumcision? Is that case the offense of the cross has been removed? I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Now, gracious God, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you recognize the name Fannie Lou Hammer? couple of you, okay. Well, Fanny is not as widely known as Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks, yet she is one of the many hidden figures in our country who has made a lasting impact on civil rights. Fanny was born in Montgomery County, Mississippi in 1917, the youngest of 20 children. Her parents were sharecroppers in the Mississippi Delta, and she began working in the fields when she was only six years old. She always loved to read, especially poetry, and she was excellent at spelling. But at the age of 12, Fanny dropped out of school in order to work full-time to help out her family. Fanny went on to marry another sharecropper, Pat Pammer, and together they worked on a plantation for 18 years. But in the summer of 1962, Fanny attended a service at Williams Chapel Missionary Baptist Church that would change the course of her life 
in the course of history. That day, Reverend James Bevel challenged those who were assembled to go out and register to vote. Fanny said it seemed like the most remarkable thing that could ever happen in the state of Mississippi. And so Fanny responded to an altar call that day along with 16 other people and they soon boarded a bus to try to register to vote at a nearby courthouse. Fanny led the group in singing this little light of mine and go tell it on the mountain all along the way. Fanny and her group were turned away that day facing brutal opposition from both local and state law enforcement and not allowed to register to vote because of the color of their skin. And Fanny's bravery came at a significant cost. She lost her job and she was kicked off the plantation that she had called home for 20 years. But firing Fanny backfired. She was later quoted in the New York Times saying, when they kicked me off the plantation, they set me free. It's the best thing that could ever happen. Now I can work for my people. Fanny would go on to be arrested, jailed, beaten, and held at gunpoint for her participation in civil rights movements. She was severely injured in 1963 in a Wyona, Mississippi jail where she was taken in by police after attending a voter registration workshop. She was beaten so badly that she suffered permanent kidney damage. But Fanny never stopped fighting for freedom. They say that she would be as famous as Martin Luther King Jr. is today if she were given the same opportunities. She went on to give speeches all around the country to make known the brutal conditions of African Americans living in the South and to fight for the freedoms of her neighbors. In one of her very first speeches in Greenwood, Mississippi, she said, do you know why I love that song, This Little Light of Mine, from the fifth chapter of Matthew? Jesus said a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid, and I don't mind my light shining. I don't hide that I'm fighting for freedom because Christ died to set me free. I must admit that I have found myself completely immersed in Fanny's history this week. And with each new story and speech I discovered, I became even more mesmerized, challenged, and inspired. And it was powerful to read Fanny's words alongside Galatians 5, because they could almost be read as a more modern day translation. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first verse of Galatians 5 reminds us that we serve a God who has set us free. Free from the power of sin, free from death, free from anything that holds us down and tries to keep us from living out the lives as the people God is calling and creating us to be. The earliest readers of the text would have heard those words set free 
and immediately thought of the Israelites being freed from slavery in Egypt. But Paul would go on to be referring to our freedom in Christ, that the life and death and resurrection of Christ freed us, made a way for us to have this everlasting life. And just as we will sing in a few moments today, my chains are gone, I've been set free. The text makes it clear what we are free from, but then it also challenges us that we are free for something that is so much greater than ourselves. We aren't set free to use our freedom haphazardly or indulgently or selfishly. That would make us like the prodigal son who squandered his inheritance in wild living. Rather, Paul says that the ultimate expression of Christian freedom is in service to our neighbors. Ultimately, our freedom in Christ calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's important to note that this idea of using one's freedom to show love for neighbor would have been shocking to some of the early readers of this text. A Greek interpretation of freedom would have been all about independence and individuality and self-determination. So Paul's focus here on freedom as engaging with and serving one's neighbor would have been jolting to some of the readers. And perhaps when you and I ponder these words and what they can mean in our lives, they are pretty jolting to us too. Friends, do we truly understand the depths of the freedom which we have been given through Christ? And if so, how are we using that freedom? What does it look like for you and for me to use our freedom to love our neighbors as ourselves? Bert has been leading us through a sermon series called The Path on Which We Find Ourselves as Moderate Baptist. And the path on which we find ourselves is paved by a significant commitment to freedom. Baptists have historically believed in what Walter Sheridan calls the four fragile freedoms. Doug Weaver taught me about these when I was in seminary. Bible freedom, the idea that as Christians with, with the best tools and resources available to them ought to be free to read and interpret the Bible for themselves. Soul freedom, the idea that each individual is free in his or her relationship with God. We don't have to go through anybody else to talk to God or to hear from God or to learn from God. Church freedom, the idea that each local congregation is free to choose how they want to go about their work and ministry in the world. Religious freedom, that every single person ought to be free to practice whatever religion to which they feel called, if any, and any attempt to coerce or take away someone's freedom of religion also takes away this opportunity for genuine faith in an authentic religious experience. Freedom has always been important to us as Baptists. Thomas Helwes was thrown into prison where he died because of his convictions about religious freedom. Roger Williams fled persecution in Massachusetts and began a colony in Rhode Island to guarantee religious liberty for all of its citizens. Many other Baptists had been publicly flogged, imprisoned, and fined because of their commitments to many of the freedoms that you and I enjoy today. But I wonder if the freedoms we have today have become such a normal part of the landscape of our lives that we take them for granted. 
I, I wonder if sometimes we don't even see or realize the freedoms we have. Last week, I was at the Texas Baptist Women in Ministry Conference in Abilene at Logston Seminary, and I spoke on a panel called Race, Women, in the Church. I spoke with my colleagues, Jewel London, who serves at the Church Without Walls in Houston, and Anira Cano, who serves at Iglesia Bautista Victoria on Cristo in Fort Worth. And the first question they asked us was this, how has your race impacted your journey as a woman in ministry? And Jewel began by sharing about her experience growing up in the African-American church. And she said that although she serves on the pastoral staff at her church, when she travels to meetings at other African-American churches, she said she is often not allowed to come into the meeting room with the other pastors and is asked to sit in the hallway. Or other pastors are invited to sit on the stage, but she is asked to sit on the floor with their spouses. And she said that she always keeps a skirt in her car because even today in Houston, Texas, there are still many African-American churches where women aren't allowed to wear pants. One day she was driving to drop off some donations that her church had collected for a mission project at a partner church, only to find that she wasn't allowed to bring the toys into the building because she was wearing a pantsuit. And then Anira went on to share about her experience growing up as the only Hispanic family in a primarily white congregation where her father was the janitor. She said that she always felt like the church's mission project, but never felt affirmed as a full member of the church. And then a new pastor came along and he saw this gifting in Anira for ministry and asked if she would help teach a children's Sunday school class. And she was so excited. But just weeks later, he asked her to step down when too many church members started complaining because they didn't want a Hispanic girl teaching their children. Jewel and Anira courageously shared story after story about various challenges and frustrations they have faced in ministry, somewhat related or directly related to their race. And then it was my turn to speak. And I looked out at the audience and I said, I've never even asked myself this question. I've never had to think about how my race has impacted my journey in ministry because as far as I know, it hasn't. Or perhaps I should say that my race has never negatively impacted my journey in ministry. I was struck in the gut by this freedom I've been given that I don't even realize. And that's what privilege is. It's never even having to think about challenging issues that others face on a daily basis. And sometimes it's not even knowing that those challenges even exist. I became profoundly aware of my privilege as I sat on the panel last week. And simultaneously, I became profoundly aware of my responsibility to advocate for and with my sisters of color. But I also became profoundly aware of how much I need to know my sisters of color. I have served on a board with Anira and Jewel for the past two years. And I will admit that I've never really gotten to know them. And I want to change that. The reality is that most of us surround ourselves with people who look like us. 
whose lives look like ours, whose stories sound something like our own. And when that happens, we are all missing out on the fullness and richness that exist in the beautiful diversity of God's kingdom. But it's only when we begin to meet and to know our neighbors, neighbors who may have a different race or religion or ethnicity or you fill in the blank, it's only then when we begin to know our neighbors that we can even begin to understand how to love our neighbors. New Testament scholar Eldon Epps says this about the text. Think, think of the implications of what Paul commands here. If I in love really become a servant to my neighbor, then I am delivered from the temptation of paternalism, of constantly being the wiser, richer partner who always knows what is best for my friend. Instead, I am at my neighbor's disposal and in serving him or her, discover afresh the freedom that God has given both of us. Friends, sometimes loving our neighbors will look like small everyday actions. Shared meals, learning each other's stories, holding each other's babies and taking out each other's trash. But sometimes loving our neighbors will be a much harder task. Some days loving our neighbors requires a risk on our part. It calls us to action. It might even be dangerous. But perhaps moments like these are the true test of whether we will use our freedom indulgently or if we will be willing to risk our own freedom out of our love for our neighbors. Martin Niemöller was a pastor in Germany during the time of the Nazi regime. And initially, he was a supporter of Hitler's rise to power, but in 1933, he became the head of a group of opposition clergy members known as the Pastors' Emergency League who opposed Nazi control of the churches. In 1937, Martin was arrested and sent to the concentration camps where he spent seven years. He survived until the end of the war when the Allies liberated him and his fellow prisoners. And on a later trip back to the concentration camps, he is known for writing the following words in a journal that have since become famous. He said, first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. His point was that the Germans, and in particular, he believed the leaders of the Protestant churches had been complicit through their silence in the Nazi imprisonment, persecution, and murder of millions of people, that no one was willing to risk speaking out for their neighbors. And when it came down to him, there was no neighbor left to speak out. Friends, how long will we let history repeat itself again and again? How long will we be silent when given the opportunity to speak out? And what God-sized risks are we willing to take in order to follow the call to love our neighbors as ourselves? Like the servants who buried their talents in the ground in Matthew 25, it would be so much easier for us to use our freedom for ourselves. 
but sometimes God calls us to risk something big for something good, as William Sloan Coffin once preached. It's a risk to speak out for and with our neighbors of color. It's a risk to advocate for and with our Muslim or refugee neighbors. It's a risk to give financially to groups that stand up against injustice in our country and in our world. It's a risk for us to give financially to what God is doing here at Calvary and for us to really live into God's mission together to love our neighbors here at 18th and Bosque and all around the world. Friends, how is God calling you and me to use our freedom to risk something big for something good? How is God calling Calvary to risk something big for something good. At the end of her speeches, Fanny would often say to her audiences, I don't want to hear you say, honey, I'm behind you. Move, she would say to them. I don't want you back there because you could be 200 miles behind me. I want to hear you say, I'm with you. And we will go up this freedom road together. Friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free to love our neighbors and to walk with our neighbors. And so I pray that God might challenge us today and every day to use our freedom to risk something big for something good, no matter where that road might lead. God, I pray that in these moments, you would make us aware of our freedom in you. That you died to free us from the sins, from doubt, from shame, from fear, from everything that holds us back from living out who you are calling us to be and what you are calling us to do in your world. God, I pray that you would put on our minds and hearts and souls a way that we might continue to use our freedoms to love and to serve our neighbors, to risk something big for something good in your big, good, beautiful world. God, we admit that's overwhelming to think about, that you are the God who gives us God-sized dreams for a reason. And I pray that you would give us courage to live out our callings with you wherever you lead us. Amen. We serve a God who sets us free. And the reality is that we are free to choose to spend our lives following him or not. And following Jesus is always a risk. It means you never know where Jesus might lead us next. It means that we're always open to new movements of God's spirit in our lives and in the world around us. But following Christ promises us a lifetime of adventure and partnership with the God who calls us, sustains us, and is always with us. And so if you would like to talk with someone about what it means to follow Christ, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Or maybe you want to become part of this community at Calvary where we seek to know and to follow Christ together. Or maybe you want to pray with one of our ministers about how God might be challenging you to risk something big for something good. We would love to pray with you today. 
And so however God leads you to respond, ministers and deacons will be in the back ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
Children who haven't made a profession of faith in Christ are invited to come to the front to receive a blessing. Let us pray. Lord God, you have made all the peoples of all the earth for your glory, to serve you in freedom and peace. Give us a zeal for justice and the strength of mercy. Today we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving, remembering that Jesus promised to be with us always through your power of word and spirit. May we always use our liberty and freedom in accordance with your gracious will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. As we lean into God's call on each of our lives to do good, to hear each other's stories, to love one another, and to serve our neighbors, let us offer praise and thanksgiving for both the assurance of God's nature and presence, but also the mystery of faith. Let us remember how, on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and then he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took this cup, the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because there is one loaf, we, though we are many, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break, it is a means of sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks, it is a means of sharing in the outpoured blood of Christ. You were invited to this beautiful and shared table. Come.
I'm mindful that we have several visitors here with us today. We are so glad that you are here, and if you see someone on your way out who doesn't look familiar, I hope you'll introduce yourselves and, and get to know each other. I also hope that everyone will stay and join us for our spaghetti lunch today. I think we are going to have lots of food for everyone, and that will be downstairs in our fellowship hall. Also, as is our tradition, every third Sunday when we take communion, we also receive what's called the Samaritan's Fund offering. And this goes toward emergent needs both in our congregation and in our surrounding community. Uh, our social work intern and our Samaritan's Fund team work so well to make sure that that fund is used to the best of its ability. So we thank you for the ways that you give generously to that. And another way that you can give is giving toward what God is doing at Calvary in our ministry and mission here. Um, that's part of risking something big for something good. And if you would like to know more ways about how you can do that, how you can sign up to do that on a regular basis through your bank account, um, Lydia Tate in the yellow will be available after the worship service in the Welcome Center, and she would love to talk with you about that and show you what that looks like. We're so glad that you're here today. What a wonderful morning of worship. Let's stand and receive this benediction. May God give you grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. Amen. <laughs>